Peter brings up an issue in the letter that has dogged people of faith for thousands of years has been the substance of many arguments throughout the years, especially more recently by atheists. And the question is, if God is good, why does he allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering in our world? There was no atheists, uh, I would say, not, no more than 200 years ago. They're very recent in the history of humanity. Every group, every nation, every people's group believe in some form of a God somewhere. But this has become more of our time and place where this question continually is asked, why does God allow suffering in the world? And also amongst Christians, why are they suffering? Wondering as they suffer, what kind of life have I gotten into? Where's God? Why are we suffering? Suffering in the past, suffering in the present, suffering in the future. The truth of the matter is that suffering is a universal human experience. And it's multifaceted. We suffer because of illness and sickness, of natural disasters that we witness with Viola. So there's a whole bunch of different types of sufferings in our world. One is either coming out of suffering, in the middle of suffering, or are you just about to face suffering? When Jesus, the Logos, the Word of God, became flesh and entered into our world, God, man, entered into a world of suffering to experience the same suffering that we as humans experience, whether it be pain and disappointment and bereavement and insulted and maltreated. Christ endured these things so that he may share our humanity. Read the letter to the Hebrews. That's what it's all about. However, the matter that Peter is addressing today is one of suffering for merely being a follower of Christ. Nothing to do with the natural disasters, nothing to do with the natural health that an in and flow of our sickness to health and back and forth, but simply because of who I believe and who I represent. To those whom Peter is writing, suffering for being a Christian was a norm, not an exception. That's right. They expected it. Peter's readers were facing trying times, as Pastor Ben has made clear in the previous sermons on this series. And they were in need of encouragement for what they were going through. So today we're confronted with a text whose theme is considerably remote from our experience as Christians in Canada. There might be an exception in some cases, in some places of Canada, but it's definitely not the norm for Christians in Canada to suffer solely because they are followers of Jesus. You might think so, because they won't let you pray in the school, or they won't let you put an activity scene in a sacred place. But God's people were the ones who were supposed to experience and share that. Not that we impose it on the world, but we need to live it out ourselves. So the question is not, what is the country, what is the city, what is the town, what is the province doing? Well, what are we doing? What are we setting up in our homes? What are we doing as coming together as the people of God? Christians are suffering. And it might be true that our culture is moving closer and closer to what Peter's readers and audience expected and, and as Christians suffering, but thankfully it hasn't arrived yet. Yet. But there are countries in our world where people are suffering, and Pastor Betty's prayers this morning revealed those that are suffering. 
Those ones that might be asking, is this worth it all to follow Jesus? Can you imagine the thoughts that came into their minds? Imagine the thoughts that come in your mind if you haven't really suffered from being merely a Christian. You suffered in other areas of life, of human experience, but from being a Christian. How many times have you said, is this worth it? There's a book that's going to be coming out on December the 6th. It's published by University Press. It's called Faithful Disobedience. It's the story of a pastor from China named Pastor Wang Yi. Pastor Wang Yi was arrested in 2018. And he received a nine-year sentence merely for being a Christian and was charged with a fraudulent charge of subversion of the state and the empire. His church was continually attacked. But the miracle of all, in the midst of their suffering, the church is growing. Figure that out. Figure that out. They weren't complaining about a pandemic and what's done to the church. These guys are dying for Jesus and the church is growing. It's growing. Pastors and church members frequently share, as Pastor Benny did, stories of prayer and pulpits of believers around the world who are jailed, even martyred, which means they die as a witness for Jesus Christ. The Open Door website most recent website says that there's over 300 million Christians who suffer and face high levels of persecution. That means their lives are on the line and discrimination exclusively because they have faith in Jesus Christ. The persecuted church is willing to suffer for Jesus and for the kingdom of God, like the Easter Sunday raids in Pakistan. Or the violence and the prison and the arson and the kidnap solely because they are followers of Jesus. The question for us in Canada today is, are we ready? Are we ready to suffer? They will prepare to be rejected. There's an old saying from an early church father. He said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When people were being persecuted and suffering for Jesus... The seed was sowed and it flourished. Nazarene scholar Dean Levy notes that we need to be clear, however, about this identity as foreigners and exiles, what it means for Peter's audience. This is not primarily a reference to their political or social status. It has nothing to do with I'm a Canadian and whatever party I vote for and so on and so on. Either before or after I came to Christ and was born anew into this new life that Christ has given me. Instead, Peter pictures them as people who used to fit in in the social world, but they no longer do. God has given them a new identity as his chosen strangers in the world, the same way that he gave Abraham that identity after the people of the world messed up after the flood and Noah's episode there. These are people who formerly spent their time doing what unbelievers desire. That's back in chapter 4, verse 3. But God has called them to a new, distinctive way of living, which has set them in awe us with the unbelieving family members and friends who still ridicule them, still insult them, still harass them. But I love this line from Dean Fleming. He says, their true homeland is their new life in Christ. And to understand that, you've got to remember that the people of Israel were always longing for what? The land that God had promised Abraham. Always going towards the land. And Joshua had 
across the Jordan to get into that land. So this land theology, what happens in the New Testament? The land theology becomes that we find our homeland in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, to Christ be all the glory. That's where our home is. It's a not that it's somewhere beyond these walls. It's right here in you if you are in Christ. That is the new homeland. But this new life includes suffering. Are you still with me? It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. When are you willing to suffer as Christ suffered for you? We're called by God to live as Christ's people in a hostile world. A hostile culture that opposes Christ and his people. Nevertheless, we can have comfort and confidence in the face of suffering because of the living hope that Christ has given to us. In chapter 1, Pastor Benny Fuelings read these words. And his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Our whole land is in Christ. The new land metaphor and theology is in Christ that can never perish, Amen. never spoil, right. never fade. No one can take it from you but yourself. Samuel Wells has a book entitled The Future is Always Bigger Than the Past. Do you believe that? The future is always bigger than the past. I would add, the future is always bigger and greater than the present and the past. Of what we wait for what is yet to come. Peter writes, as we look at the first point, that challenges our current change towards Christianity might terrify us as we see suffering might be coming to us in Canada. Not because of who I am or what I do, simply because we are children of God. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come onto you to test you as though something strange was happening. In other words, don't be surprised if suffering Welcome it. Embrace it. Ask God for help in the midst of your suffering. Life wasn't meant to be so easy. But even though life was hard, Jesus offers us his light load and his yoke, which is easy. Peter reminds us that we should not be caught off guard when we suffer. And all that all is happening to us. Why are we suffering so much? Why is this happening to me? All I want to do is follow Jesus. And look what's happening. He said, don't be surprised. He's eliminating the surprise factor from believers following Christ. The late C.S. Lewis was asked, why do the righteous suffer? He said, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Can you? Can you take it? And what he meant is what Peter later on says, and I'll read the scripture later on that, is because the presence of the Holy Spirit is with us. The Comforter is with us. He promised never to leave us or forsake us. That's why Christians who are in Christ, in that new homeland, can suffer. That's why we have to enjoy the suffering, or glory in the suffering, but then we have a helper who is with us in the midst of the suffering. That's right. Simone Well, the great French writer, once remarked that the tremendous greatness of Christianity comes from the fact it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering. Now here, something's going to go, boom, in Jesus' name, right? It doesn't seek a supernatural remedy, but this is what he said, but a supernatural use of suffering. 
and Jesus is Then he didn't. It wasn't a fake, it wasn't a facade, it wasn't an optical illusion. He really suffered for us. And we, we after that suffering for being a Christian and following Jesus, we have been the suffering of Jesus. But in the midst of the suffering, we give a testimony to the outside world that we all have a greater future than our present and our past because of what Christ has done for us. This thing about suffering is nothing new to the people of God. The Israelis and Israelites, rather, in Egypt and Babylon. Read the book of Acts. It's something that our forefathers in the faith and foremothers in the faith experienced. And they were, well, they had kept going as they knew God was with them and in them. That Emmanuel was not just a word that we utter with our lips, but was an experience deep within our soul. Do you really believe that today? Amen. Do you really believe that? Do you live your life as if you believe that Christ is in you the hope of glory? That no matter what this world throws at me, I know that my future is greater than my present and my past because of Christ. The choice to follow Christ at times pushes us to the margins of society. There's a target painted on our backs because we're blessed people of God. Maybe not blessed people of Canada, but we're blessed people of God. That marks us up for exclusion, contempt, and suffering in the world of the empire. Christians suffer within their own culture. But that doesn't stop us from sharing the word of the Lord. It doesn't stop the early church from sharing the word of the Lord. Because the mission of the call of God is still upon us in the midst of suffering. That's right. We are still called to go out into the world wherever we live and move and have our being. So when suffering occurs in those moments, we ought not to be surprised that something strange is happening. James says in his book that we should consider pure joy when trials come. Is that the way you react when trials come and suffering? You start to have a little holy giggle. And you consider it joy. Lord, I don't like the pain, but I'm laughing with you for what I'm going to do. Because I know that my future is greater than my present and my past. The Bible nowhere argues that suffering is, in general is a good thing. I don't believe God wills suffering. That came as our choice of the choices we make in life. There's no intrinsic merit in suffering which explains and has no role in the new heaven and the new earth. For the writer John the Revelator said there will be no more death there. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more crying, no more pain, because the future is greater than the present and the no value in suffering, but it's what we've got to go through for us to reach where we are headed. Barry Calvin said that suffering will not endure forever and ever. There's always a glorious Sunday on God's horizon. The people of God will wait for it. And that glorious Sunday is just a metaphor analogy for the day of the Lord when He comes. There's a new horizon. And the Alpha and Omega and the bright and morning sun is going to appear to us and for us. You know, Jesus suffered for a purpose. A purpose. We celebrated the Lord's table. We sang songs that spoke of that purpose. But in 1 Peter, he wrote these words in chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for the sins, the righteous 
for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. To bring you to God. To bring you home. Heaven is where God is. Well, we got to get away from this destination and geographical location. Heaven is where God is, so with God's out there, there's in heaven. And our whole land is in the person of Jesus Christ. And God, in Christ Jesus, is bringing us home to that holy place to reside and live and have our being with God. That is what Jesus died for. We need to be reminded, too, that life challenges are not designed to break us, but to bend us towards God. Or as Charles Wesley wrote in his song, Love Divine, how long it's something, take away my bent to sin, Alpha and Omega be it. In other words, say, take away my bent to sin and bend me towards your holiness and your goodness and your righteousness so that I may stand blameless before your throne. That's what God wants to do in our lives. So God, in Christ Jesus, writing through Peter, says, suffering should not be a surprise. Expect it. And then he says, suffering prepares us for glory. Aren't you happy? Aren't you happy? There's a glorious future waiting for those that are in Christ Jesus. And he writes in verses 13 and 14, But rejoice in as much as you participate, and that's our word koinia again, and participate, but it means we partner with Christ. It's not mere fellowship and a copy of the Lord, okay? It's partnership with the sufferings of Jesus. Read Paul's letter to the Philippians. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are. Blessed. I can hear you. Blessed. You are. Blessed. 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 Are you awake still? God, I feel blessed. It doesn't matter what suffering, it doesn't matter what you say about me. Because I know whom I have believed, and I have persuaded that he is able to keep me to that day. Because the future is greater than the present and the past. To suffer for Christ is a blessing, my friends. We hear here in 1 Peter, what Pastor Betty already read, is an echo from Matthew 11, 11 to 12, chapter 5. Blessed are you when people insult you. Really, Jesus? Persecute you. Are you talking to me, Jesus? Falsely saying all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Really, Jesus? Because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We stand in good company. We stand in good company with the prophets and when we're suffering for Jesus' sake. Jesus' sake. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice. Remember Paul and some of us in prison? Thrown into the prison, beaten. The only charge against them is because they were believers in Christ. Right? It wasn't because they stole or robbed the bank or did some drug dealing or sex human trafficking and all that stuff. Solely because they were Christians. They were thrown in prison and yet they sing up a storm. And the prison door is open. An earthquake comes. And we know the rest of the story. But there's a story of a Romanian pastor that served in the Anglican and Lutheran tradition. Was an evangelical slant. His name was Richard Wormbrand. He wrote a famous book called Torture for Christ. I don't know if you re remember that. But he spent years in the Romanian jails when they were underneath communist rule. And, and he, I remember the story about him that he said that even when he was in jail, he used to prepare a sermon a day 
with no Bible, no pen, no paper. Just in his mind, his heart, and spirit before the Lord as he was in the prison cells there. And he would preach it to himself because he needed to hear it. God gave him the grace and the spirit to write the sermon and to preach it to himself, even if it was silent and in word. But he was tortured for Christ. He came from Jewish background, and he came to Christ through a Romanian Christian carpenter. <laughs> and he came to Christ. And one day he got to appear, even though he wasn't American, but he got to appear before the Washington Senate in the United States as they were looking at the persecuted church around the world. And he had to take off his shirt. And when he took off his sh shirt, there were all the scars that were left on his body because of his torture that happened in the Romanian jails. But he never lost his faith. And he lived to be nine people hunted. In Christ, but in prison with those chains, he would make music to the Lord and he would sing from Psalm 118 This is the day, clean, clean, this is the day, clean, clean, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, clean, clean, and be glad in it, clean, clean. <clears throat> what a testimony that in the midst of suffering, he understood what it meant to serve the Lord. The suffering that first Peter deals with throughout the letter is one of the Christians who dare to live for God and proclaim his message even in an abusive culture that they were living in. Scott McKnight notes that being able to rejoice now in the midst of suffering prepares one for being overjoyed. Not only is there joy and suffering in the here and now, but when Jesus comes, we're going to be full of bubbling and overbubbling joy to the Lord because greater is our future than our present and our past because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know that old hymn? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his fair face. All sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Jesus. Because our present day sufferings for Christ prepares us for an overjoying joy when we see him face to face as he is. And as we see him face to him, face as he has the purity that he has, he begins to share with us, and we come into this glorious holiness because of our relationship with him. There's a story of a famous evangelist who told the following incident. I have a friend who in a time of business recession lost his job, a sizable fortune, and his beautiful home. And to add to his sorrow, his precious wife died. Yet he tenaciously had all held on to his faith in Jesus Christ. That was the only thing he had left. Everything that the world prizes was gone, stripped away from him. And one day when he was walking out in search of employment, he stopped to watch some men who were doing stonework on a large church. One of them was chiseling a triangular piece of rock. And he said, where are you going to put that? And the workman answered, do you see that little opening way, way up there in the fire? Well, I'm shaking this stone down here so that it will bear up there. And then tears began to fill the evangelist's friend's eyes as he walked away. For the Lord had spoken to him through those words by a simple laborer and workman. Given a meaning to this troubled life, we are living stones, no? But God is shaping us and chiseling us down here so that we will prepare for the glory that is yet to come and then rejoice with overwhelming joy because we get to see him face to face as he is. So, suffering, not a surprise. 
Suffering prepared us for glory, and then suffering for the right reasons. For the right reasons. If you're suffering as a Christian, you shouldn't react to your suffering by doing something shameful or evil. Right? Listen to Peter's words here. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, or a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Peter is speaking of the consequences of our wrong actions here. Back in 1 Peter chapter 3, he wrote, It's the will of God that you suffer. Then it is better to suffer for doing what is right than what is wrong. Right? Peter seems to have set up a progression here. But we're surprised murderer, then thief, and then a general wrongdoer, everyday criminal, street criminal, and last is a surprising one, a meddler. People who want to get involved with other people's lives, busybodies, espionage spies that we have in our family or in our midst. He says, that's, if you suffer for that because you get in other people's faces for the wrong reason, that's your business, but that's not suffering for Jesus. And our solution is not to take our own revenge or right for wrong, like Charles Bronson, the vigilante. If you don't know it, younger people, Go to Google and check it out. Or like Rambo. Or like the zealous in Jesus' day and Peter's day. We are called to suffer without shame, but praise God that we bear his name. And as the Apostle Paul tells the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. We're not to be ashamed because we are believers. But a lot of the church, they act as if they're shameful. Because they bear the name of Christ. God have mercy on the church today. The daily pressure was real in Peter's day. It took a toll on the Christians and wore them down. And yet, at the end of the day, they could raise their hallelujahs to the Lord. Amen. They could sing praises to their God. They can rejoice and be glad that the Lord is good and mighty. They know the power of the Holy Spirit is present with them. Do you? Amen. Do you know that? Here to guide you, here to encourage you, here to nudge you to do the things of the Lord and for his kingdom. But the future is also with us. We get to experience it in the here and now. But we know there's a future that is greater than the present and the past. And we know that we serve a Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So where does your suffering, my suffering, our suffering lead us? There's a couple of scenarios. The first one, does your suffering lead you to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? From Galatians 5.22, as Paul as draws that picture of a, a spirit-filled person, of a transformed life in Christ as a fruitful life, or... Does your suffering and whatever circumstances you experience in life lead you to revenge, anger, fear, hate, and violence? If the former, the fruit of the Spirit, we're suffering for the right reasons. We're suffering for the right reasons. If the latter, then you need to come to an altar of prayer and deal with the Lord. If your suffering leads you to violence and hatred and fear and anger and revenge, 
Joy in the midst of suffering is possible because it's a prelude to the coming of Jesus Christ in glory. In other words, it's a small movie trailer giving us a picture of what is yet to come. Blessed suffering is a process of redemption and becoming like God's Son who was rejected for our sake. Remember the words of Isaiah in chapter 53? He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and he bore our suffering. We have a God who weeps. We have a God who grieves. We have a God, praise his name, who leads by his hand and by his son to reach out to us and bring us home in him himself so that we can live a holy and righteous life and appear now as we await that glorious future which is yet to come. Because our future is greater than our present and our present. The story of a missionary. Her name is Helen Rosemary. She was an English missionary. She served in the Congo, enduring even imprisonment and torture because of her Christian faith. And during the Civil War, we know some personal missionaries that served in the Congo during the same time. And we heard the stories of what went on in the Congo in those days. And this is what she says I wasn't praying. Don't be surprised that in the midst of suffering for Christ, you just come to me. I've got no words to say. Continue to listen to me as I reflect your story here to you. I was beyond praying. Someone back home was praying earnestly for me. If I prayed any prayer, it would be, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And many of us sometimes feel that we're in that situation. And suddenly there was God. She says, I didn't see a vision. I didn't hear a voice. I just knew with every ounce of my being that God was actually vitally there. How well has anybody experienced that? That was the only prayer that you could pray. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then God shows up and, and, and you know he is with you in the midst of your suffering. He was there in majesty and power. She goes on to say, he stretched out his arms to me. He surrounded me with his love. And he seemed to whisper these words to me. Twenty years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary. This is it. This is it. The suffering you are going through right now is the privilege to represent Jesus Christ. Don't you want it? Twenty years ago, you wanted it. And now, what's your answer, Helen? Fantastic. The privilege of being identified with our Savior. She got it. And she was driven down the short corridor of her home, which means imprisonment. And it was, though he clearly said to me, these are not your sufferings. Now, bear with me again, because I, I don't want you to not get this. They're not beating you. These are my sufferings. Because you're suffering for the sole sake that you are in my son Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, these are the words here, all I ask of you is the loan of your body. Well, we love to say I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. All God wants to do is use you and maybe to your body there might come some punishment and suffering. 
because of the source state of being identified with Jesus Christ. And she was enormously relieved. She got it. All God asks of us is to give him our all, our mind, our soul, our spirits, our body. And that one word became clear. It was magnified. It is a privilege to suffer for being a child of God through the sacrificial death and resurrection and ascension of his son, Jesus Christ. And he hasn't left us abandoned. He's given his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit rests on us. She goes on to say he didn't take away the pain. That's the happy Hollywood ending we want. And all the pain was gone, and all the suffering was gone. Not yet. But that future that is greater than the present past is coming soon. It was altogether different because the witness for him and him is actually offering me the priceless privilege of sharing in some little way in the edge of the fellowship of his suffering. That's what the Apostle Paul said here. In the weeks of imprisonment that followed, in the subsequent years of continued service looking back, one has tried to count the cost, but she finds it all swallowed up in privilege. It's a privilege. To serve the Lord. How do you like that? I want that. It's a privilege. No matter what happens in the church, no matter sometimes we have disagreements with each other, it's still a privilege to serve the Lord and to believe that there's a better future than today and yesterday. And God loves us at all times and He'll give us the strength to get through whatever we are going through at this time. So, considering suffering, do not be surprised when it knocks at your door. Remember that suffering leads to joy and glory and bubbling joy when we see him face to face. If you're going to suffer for Christ, let it be for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Not the wrong reasons. And I I agree. Like, I left the last verses up because Pastor Benny will be dealing with that next week and get your house in order. But Peter in our passage today says that judgment starts with the house of not with the world, not with not carrying the house of God. And every time you look at judgment and the scriptures, it's never about who you believe, what you believe. Do you know you are forgiven or are you not forgiven? It's what are you doing? How you live your life? And he makes it clear in this verse 19 from chapter 4, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him and doing good as to a faithful creator. So when we look at judgment, we're all going to be judged. The righteous and the unrighteous. But how you live in your life, how you live in the suffering that we get to experience as a privilege in Christ Jesus. Our future <coughs> is greater than our present in our past. And we're going to come now and sing this last song that God is working all things for his good. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Do you believe that the future is greater than our present and our past? Do you know that we can go through all this stuff that the world might be coming against us? <coughs> I close with these words. First Peter is the vaccine we need as a resident alien to prepare ourselves for the rejection, the opposition, the persecution, the discrimination, whose genesis has already begun a little bit. Seen us here in the here and now, and still coming to Canada towards the followers of Jesus. 
And the only way we're going to get through it is to be willing to be to suffer as he suffered for us. Let us pray and then we'll sing the song and I'll give a benediction. Father, we thank you for the suffering servant. Yeah. And thank you for the God who weeps. Yeah. Even now, Lord, as you see our situation as followers, not only in Canada, especially around the world, those countries that Pastor Betty prayed about earlier on, that you see what's going on. And you're not a God that is far remote in some distant place, but you're a God that is with us. And you're a God that is with them, as you were with Richard Wormland in the prisons of Romania during the time of communist rule, as you were with uh, Helen, uh, Lord Rosemere, in the Congo during the time of civil war. And they suffered for the mere reason of they were believers in Christ. They learned what it meant for the Lord to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow you. They knew what it meant for the Lord that those who try to gain their life in this world, the Lord will lose it. And those, O oh Lord, who lose their life for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel that bears his name will gain it. Lord, remind us again of the essentials of what it means to be in you. And to live for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, speak to these people, I pray. All gracious, Holy Spirit. Amen.